1: book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.
2: Hey, y'all. My name is Shan. Welcome to Cozy One Podcast. This is a series for black fathers because black fathers matter. Black fathers matter to me. Black fathers matter to my children. Black fathers matter when it comes to my brothers, um, my mentors, my friends. They matter because they set the tone for who our children look up to. They set the tone for How men, women, children, and other elderly people feel protected, feel like, you know, everything they've struggled for was for a good cause because they've seen who they've become. And I want to, I don't know, I just want to shine a light on them and hear from them in a perspective that sometimes goes unheard because no one cares to ask. Sometimes people look at fathers as if, oh, that's nothing. They're supposed to do that. Why would we, you know, thank you for doing something you're automatically supposed to do? You shouldn't look for any, you know, praise or any uh, thank yous for that. That's the standard. That's the basics. You know, do what you're supposed to do. But when you have a father that's there that's consistent that's uh, available that's attentive that's caring that's thoughtful versus a absent father versus a father that thinks his life and his now is more important than the child's future um there's a difference there's a clear difference and i just want to show appreciation so uh this series i've interviewed many many fathers from different places different backgrounds and i really just want to pick their brains with different questions so um thank you for listening to cozy boom podcast and i hope you enjoy so dre let me just say that uh it was refreshing to um get to speak with him because a lot of what I wanted to ask I didn't have to through through usual conversation. he answered it, so it was really just easy to speak with him about his experiences and him making changes and his um his want to be in his child's life and how he pours into his kids, how he makes sure that they have joy, they have a great education, and they're able to maneuver in this world. And that's very important. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode. It's just like, we could have talked for hours because there's just so much within him and his determination is relentless. And I love it. And, you know, his 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 upbringing is, is Full of diverse cultures of people coming together, his wife's background, his background, um, his parents, his dad's determination to, to make sure he provided and his determination to make sure that he challenges his kids in the right way. That way, when they get out into the world, you know, they can maneuver and um, is very commendable, and I hope he has a happy Father's Day. And I hope you guys enjoy the episode. Thank you for listening to Cozy Well. What's going on, y'all? It's your girl, Lady J, creator of hashtag Girls blog. The content of my post is to educate, uplift, support, and empower Black women who struggle with anxiety and depression. If you can relate to this, then please head over to forbrowngirlsblog.com and read my post. While you're there, make sure to leave a comment and share on your social media too. If it's one thing I want you to get from my blog, is that I believe in you and you are not alone. Here we go. Back to the show. Back to
3: the show.
2: Well, nice to meet you. Yep, yep. I feel like um, I've been following you for a long time, but we've never like met or spoken. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm just like, this man is running, this man is fit. This man is about his family. So I was like, I need to I need to follow him just because he has this determination that's very like inspiring. Thank you. So uh I said, let me reach out for this series and see if he would uh, want to talk about fatherhood. Um so that's why I contacted you. But for one of my podcasts, it's Cozy Womb, which is more so about parenting yeah. and um, the honesty behind parenting that some people don't share. They yeah. just let people find out. <laughs> um, I wanted to speak to you for the Black Fathers Matter series because I don't feel like people talk to fathers enough and then black fathers is just like a thing that people talk about when things aren't going in their favor or the outcome is not that great and I want to talk about black fathers because um, I just feel like you guys are left out of the loop as if you don't have an opinion about being a father and what it is to be within fatherhood
4: you know I kind of feel like it's a it's kind of like a no man's land kind of a thing right and you know the narrative within our community is you know um we kind of don't like i talk to my friends about this all the time like if you're doing the dad thing right it's like a thankless job yes right so you know the only ones that really get attention are the ones that aren't doing the right thing or the ones who are like you know i follow this gentleman his name is sean he runs um dope dads only Mm
3: -hmm.
4: and you know he's been featured in like you know cnn just like you know so like it's either like one extreme or another yeah and it's like a bunch of stuff in the middle that just gets left out like you know having this conversation with people you know, about this false narrative that like black dads aren't there Mm
3: -hmm.
4: is just like crazy because, you know, if you just, if I just look at my college friends, all of them who have children are like real dads. And they just go about their business and you know some of them are married some of them are not but you know they still take care of the kids and it's just like they just go about their business and like they don't seek any attention and it just is what it is and like that narrative gets swept under the rug and another conversation is like when Michaela and I had Christian when she was pregnant um, she was pregnant like throughout the summer so we really didn't come outside that much you know she, it was hot she was you know seven eight months pregnant we stayed in the house you know yeah. under the AC and when we came out the next spring gentrification was just exploding in Bed-Stuy and we came out the house like what the hell just happened Yeah. Right? and we would it would be so strange for people to see us together with the kids And I laughed at that because even in the hood, you know, I tell this funny story, like even the dope boys that live across the street with me, you know when I see them the most? When they're taking their kids to school. That never gets really talked about. You know what I mean? And like these are cats that are like selling God knows who what. They hustling. (laughs) They out here every day, whatever, whatever. (laughs) But you will never see them take their kids late to school like, whatever they did the night before, they got up the next day, they got their kids ready, they picked them up, I see Mm -hmm. them all the time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's kind of like this thing where it's just like, but, you know, like I said before, it's a myth that Black fathers aren't there. You know what I mean? Because at every level of our culture, the men who are having children now kind of like grew up without a dad and didn't like that and kind of like were like okay I'm going to reverse that trend Mm -hmm. now whether they stayed in the relationship with the woman or not like you know whatever and I'm not saying that the bad dads aren't out there you know, I know a few women who are doing it by themselves. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we talk about that all the time. But at the end of the day, it's like, you know, and then even just fatherhood in general, like I talk to my dad friends, whether they're white or black, it's like, you know, our wives or girlfriends or whatever, our partners will take us out to a brunch. You know, nobody says happy Father's Day. But when we go out for Mother's Day, People are sipping all over themselves.
3: Yeah,
4: yeah. And you know, me and Michaela talk about it all the time because it's like, yo, let's see how many people say Happy Father's Day today that Mm -hmm. don't work for the restaurant.
3: Mm -hmm.
4: And we say it all the time. Like it's a sham. It's like you know, it's an excuse for you know Home Depot to run Mm -hmm. ads and you know. Uh, you know, uh, clothing companies to sell polo shirts and ties and it's just mm-hmm.
2: like, what else, man, like. Yeah. Or you can even look how many weeks before Mother's Day that there's a whole setup for something. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm just like, really? <laughs> and don't get me wrong, Mother's Day
4: is important, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, you know, especially like, you know, for the kids and making memories for them and like <laughs> teaching them to appreciate their mom, but like when it comes to like Father's Day, it's just like, you know, my kids make me cards, we go out to eat, it's all great, I get celebrated at home, but like, yeah. as soon as I walk out the house, it's like... Nothing. Nothing.
2: No engagement, no nothing. And I don't but, care. And yeah, I don't, but, but... But honestly, I, think, I don't even... It's I don't this, care. You, 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 know you, don't, you don't care, but at the same time, I feel like it would mean more if the appreciation was like evident yeah yeah um you you people love cookies i you seldomly know anyone that don't do like hates cookies and then you think about okay what what does it take to make a cookie several things but the main ingredient you have to have some type of flour and to me when it comes to having children and being a mother or being a father I feel like fathers are the flower to what makes a a child so in order for me to have my great mother's day I had to have a father whether I liked the father at one time or I don't or I didn't or I do he's included in that and it needs to be equal and I think once the appreciation is equal then you'll have Fa- more fathers excited about fatherhood. Yeah, You'll have yeah. more fathers um, wanting to be there and wanting to fulfill this role of what this means to be a, to be a dad. And uh, you don't hear it. And then a lot of dads who are hardworking, who are single fathers, who are the mother and the father to that child. They're silent because they're working. They have their yeah. hands down and they're focused. And they're not, you know, for bragging about what they do because it's kind of like, I'm supposed to. But at the same time, there's a lot of young men who become fathers, however they become fathers, that are clueless as to what am I supposed to be doing? And because the men who are doing such a great job aren't big on bragging about it or talking about it, they would have to find them or be around them and then you have dads who don't really make that connection, um, early enough to really nurture that child and be like, okay, my role was important and I caught on too late. Yeah. You have a tough. huge, a huge gap of men just, just here missing out on the best years of their kids' lives.
4: Yeah. It's tough. Cause it's like, you know, I have, I was married previously and, um, uh, got divorced when my oldest daughter was two Mm -hmm. but prior to that you know it was like around the recession time I was out of work so I was home every day and I was like you know Mm -hmm. Chloe's primary caregiver and it was like that was like a blessing in disguise of like not being at work because Mm -hmm. men don't get to see the formative years. you know what I'm saying and like create that you know that learning experience where like you're learning about your kid and like you see their personality develop Mm -hmm. and you know whatever and then you know when we divorced and separated it was like really a struggle a really long time struggle for you know just fighting to even stay in her life like her mom did everything she could to like separate us and like you know it kind of was like It's crazy because it's like, you know how we say, like, history repeats itself. So, like, my mom and dad divorced when I was two, and then here I go divorcing my first wife when my daughter was two, and I just had to, like, make this conscious decision. Like, you know, I think my dad got scared off a lot with my mom and just kind of like, you know, he was around, but, like, wasn't around. Mm -hmm. So I was just kind of like, yeah, I'm not going to let that happen. Like, I'm just going to keep fighting this until, you know, we get to the point where, you know, and it took about 10, 11 years. for stuff to like settle in and you know it's still tough but you know you know any you know I tell you know being a parent is a conscious decision like whether it was a mistake or not like you knew what you were doing when you were doing it and whatever right right? and then when it happens it's kind of like you have to just you know you make that decision on which way you want to go and you know it's It's just a, you know, it's a a sad thing that like, you know, some guys just kind of like go the other way, you know what I mean? And like not stay in their kids' lives when at the end of the day, it's like, you know, you have to fight through whatever is happening to like make that happen. And, you know, there's a lot of things, you know, that kind of like beat men up, like You know when I was going through the court system and you know fighting for just visitation and you know a set schedule and phone calls Mm -hmm. like you know when you go into family court whatever the woman says this is in New York the state of New York right Mm -hmm. whatever the woman says is like you're guilty till proven innocent right so like there'll be I had to go to court for like five or six years And, like, literally, it took the judge two years to figure out, like, oh, this guy's not a bad guy.
2: Two years?
4: Yeah, because, like, you go to court every two, three to six months. And then, you know, things happen and things don't happen and whatever. And after a while, they're like, okay, this guy keeps showing up. Like, he keeps filing his motions. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: You
4: know, he doesn't have a lawyer advocating, so everything he's doing is by himself. And
2: he keeps showing up so like so what my question in that is what kept you going like what kept that battery in your back of i'm going to show up i'm coming i'm doing this i'm doing well that. i
4: wasn't gonna i wasn't gonna let my ex-wife like my daughter was so young at the time
3: mm-hmm.
4: that i feared that she would grow up not remembering you know, she's two. She's three. How many memories do you have of when you were two and three? A lot. You know what I'm saying? So it was like in the beginning. It was just like I can't let her forget me. Mm-hmm. I can't. I can't let her grow up in the world without her remembering any having any memories. Right. You know what I'm saying? So you know, it went into phases, it was that toddler phase, and then it was like, you know, the going to school for the first time phase, and, you know, her, you know, maturity gets a little bit older, and, you know, the memories are there, but, you know, I need to be there to control my narrative, and make sure that you know, her interactions with me are about family and the family on this side and, like, dad, you know? Because there were times where, like, I would pick her up for the weekend, and all I wanted to do was spend time with her, but I knew she needed to go see my mom. I knew she needed to go hang out with her cousins. And it's her taking aunt and away
2: from family. you guys.
4: Yeah, so it's like... Hours being taken away from me, but at the end of the day, it's really for her to know that she's got this whole other family over here mm-hmm. that still cares and loves loves her, you know, and yeah. that's here for her. So it was like that was what it was in the early beginning. Like I can't let her grow up without, with you know, forgetting about us and then not creating memories so that she understood that dad was there. Like she doesn't, she probably doesn't know half of what what happened behind the scenes, and that's cool, but like what happened between her and I, she can at least say, oh, I remember dad taking me to the park or, you know, taking my cousins and, you know, all of us going, you know, ice skating or just like whatever, you know what yeah. I mean? And then it became travel, like, okay, you know, let me take her to Hawaii, let me take her to Puerto Rico, let me take her to LA, Disney World, <laughs> this, the that, that. And it's just, you know, just kind of like a, let me build memories with her and like, let her, let me like, you know, you know, cause you knew as a kid, all the good times you have with your parents, right? And, like, you always remember that. And, like, Christmas and Thanksgiving and just, you know, whatever. So in the beginning, it was just, like, I needed to be around for that, to set that up so that later when she's now, she's about to be 13, it's like we're already in a flow, you know what I mean? And, like, even though we're separated, there's an understanding that, you know, dad is still there and dad is around and, you know, whatever.
2: So, Hmm. Well, thank you for, like, pushing through that because a lot of dads give up. They do. They do. Yeah, they they give up and then they hope to come back later. They hope that that child will find them. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, the years that dads miss, like the pivotal kindergarten graduation Mm -hmm. and, and riding the first bike and your first walk, those are the things that really connect the parent to that child. Yeah. Even even for me as a mom, I remember my first daughter walking for the first time and my whole body got warm and I just cried. I was <laughs> happy but I cried for no reason because it's kind of like, man, I did I did so good that my child is now making her own her own movements. That's by herself, but I helped make that. And when a dad doesn't have that connection, it's kind of like Your child becomes a checklist like an errand and the worst thing a dad could ever do or a mom is make a child feel like a uh, obligation not a relationship they want to nurture so just thank you for pushing through that
3: yeah
4: it's hard uh, man because it's like you know you're fighting the system you know what i mean like you go into family court and like they have this idea already of you And like I said, whatever the woman goes in and says, like, that's law and you got to fight against that. And, you know, I've got friends that like, damn, you all I had to go to court today. Damn, like, this is crazy. Like, damn, like, and it it wears on you. I have a a younger friend. He's, uh, you know, maybe 34, 35, and he has a three-year-old and um, him and his ex were going through some things. And like, The ex was just like, I'm moving. And like, next week. And he was working, It was somebody that was working under me, and I literally was just like, yo, take the day off, go to family court, file this paperwork, go do this. This is exactly what you need to go do. And he was able to stop the move because he didn't understand that if a child moves out of state, the other parent has to give consent to that in writing. So he was able to, like, file some paperwork and stop that. And then he kind of just fought for his, you know, I was like, hey, you gotta fight for your uh, parental rights. Like, your mom has to go in there and fight for, you know, grandparents' rights and her own visitation. And, like, this is all, and I had to, like, just give him the playbook. And I told him, I'm like, you know, I'm so experienced in this, I could be a paralegal at this point. And, like, you know what I mean? Like, But everything that I told him to do, he did. And, you know, I look on Instagram now and he's playing with his daughter, he's got his time, they've got visitation set up, things are Mm -hmm. cool with mom, you know, whatever. But it was just like, guys don't get that. Like there's no playbook, like there's no coaching for that. And that's the problem that I had. Like every time I would go into court, it'd be something new because I just didn't know. So it
2: was like- Even if, let's say you wanted to know and you couldn't, you didn't know, like go here your resources.
3: Yes. New York State doesn't have
2: that. You have people set in place that be like, okay, I will help you if you give me this, you pay me this. So that was even big of you to have someone working for you that you were like, I'm going to share this knowledge. Yeah, because I
4: just didn't want, you know, if you have someone that's like, yo, you know, he was literally in the the office crying Mm -hmm. and it's like, you could see where it hurt him. So it's like, he obviously wants to be a dad. And, like, he's, he's, you know, someone's trying to take the opportunity away from him to be a dad. And, you know, if I have any information that can help him and give him a direction, and it's like, listen, you're going to have to do the work, but here's the playbook. This is what you need to do. And if you start doing X, Y, and Z ahead of time, the judge is going to see that you're serious you right. be like, okay, he's got his paperwork together. He knew exactly what was going on. And boom, his shit is together. And it was. And, you know, one thing that I feel like that black men don't do enough is coach the younger dudes through life. Thank you. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, a lot of it is like guys my age we were kind of the first or second generation of like fatherless children in the crack era Mm
3: -hmm.
4: and you know a lot of dudes got locked up during the 90s right so like the you know I can remember guys on the block where I grew up in Queens would be like yo like you're a smart kid like don't you know get off the street you know you know mentoring like yo You know, they were doing dirt, but trying to keep other kids from doing dirt. Like, I don't think you, you don't, you don't really see that. Like there's a lot of, you know, cats will take young boys under the wing for some stuff that isn't positive or productive, but like no one is like taking someone under the wing to be like, yo this is how this happens like this is how you know starting a business works or like getting your llc or like you know trademarking a name for something that you want to do like i don't really see that so it's like you know i've had a a older group of guys that i saw as mentors and they did that for me you know what i'm saying so it's Mm -hmm. like how would i look sitting here on all of this information and just keeping it to myself You know whatever like you got to pay it forward but like you know it's hard like you know you don't really see enough of that I don't know if it's the the willingness the unwillingness of the older dudes to do it or the unwillingness of the younger dudes to be coached
2: I think it's both I think I think the younger men seen a lot of guys who are older that feel like you not nothing to me i don't know you i don't owe you anything this old mentality and then the older guys are just on this nobody did it for me i don't owe you nothing i'm not you you just life is going to have to teach you and it's kind of like you're leaving a void that's like generations thick yep yep it doesn't make any sense you going to bed good night ellie Yeah. all right, go to bed. <laughs> see you in the morning I, I love it. I need to get like you with this um bedtime. <laughs> you know it,
4: you know stuff like that's like you know I feel good that like my kids I feel good for myself, but I feel good for my kids where like you know, I'm the first person they see when they wake up last person they see before they go to bed and like just showing up every day they'll probably take for granted but who cares like that's good like right. you know me and Michaela would talk about this with Christian like Christian is spoiled as hell mm-hmm. and we'd just be like oh well like how many young black boys get spoiled is he the younger son he, he's the only son and he's the middle child oh So he's got a little, he's got a younger sister and an older sister. So he's, you know, the prince of the castle and everybody loves him. And he's the, you know, whatever. And it's like, that's great. How does that feel? Like, I'd love to have a conversation with him when he's older and be like, yo, how did that feel? Mm -hmm. Like, what was that like? You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Like for me, like, you know, I don't want to throw my dad under the bus. He raised my older siblings. You know, I have uh, five brothers and a sister. I'm the second youngest. Oh, wow. And the first, my first two older brothers, they're not his biological kids, but he raised them. So, mm-hmm. like, you know, got to give credit where credit was due. You know, my mom was a young mom of two kids when they met, and he took them in as his own boys, and they call him dad, and that's the only dad they really knew. They found their biological father later, but. Mm-hmm my dad that's dad you know Mm -hmm. and uh, you know my dad wasn't around for me he he wasn't like a deadbeat you know he paid his child support he was around but he just
3: didn't
2: it wasn't that engagement yeah
4: and he just you know I felt like he should have fought a little bit more and he should have just included me in some things a little bit more or whatever like you know we have so much in common like we love sports Mm -hmm. you know like I grew up playing basketball and football and tennis and baseball and like My dad came to one game Mm -hmm. like my senior year of high school. Like, okay, you know, so it's like, but thank God I had uh, four older brothers who kind of filled the void. Mm -hmm. Like, not that my mom couldn't do it, like, my mom is tough as nails, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, her dad was a Marine and she grew up in a very strict household and she ain't taking no crap, and Mm -hmm. you know, she taught boys how to be boys she taught us how to like you know do our own laundry and cook our own food she used to always say like you know you're never going to depend on a woman to eat you know <laughs> you're going to be able to do everything yourself and like my yeah. dad was a really was a really great cook you know so like you know my dad's puerto rican and then like you know latino communities like dad cooks just as much as mom cooks and <laughs> like that's just the thing so it wasn't you know but like you know he just wasn't there so it's like I had these other my older brothers who were you know the closest one to me is nine years older than me my brother Phil and then you know so on and so forth and I took from each one of them you know like there's a good part of each one of them that I took as a father figure and would listen to about certain things and you know whatever and they mentored me and they always talked to me and you know when I was a teenager and you know you're going through those little teenage years and you're having issues (laughs) with your parents or whatever you know sometimes they would whoop my ass or sometimes they would pull me to the side and be like yep you know you just got to do this it is what it is so I learned a lot from them and I always had that in my life and I'm you know um, uh, uh, appreciative of that and you know even as uh, you know they have kids I'm the uncle that like pays it forward you know what I'm saying so like my you know my nephews and nieces like whenever they call me like oh you know some new sneakers came out or you know I like this hoodie from this company you know I'll surprise them you know, mm-hmm. whatever but you know like i said before like i had a collective of mentors you know what i mean and i like i just I, I really feel like today like that's that disconnect you know what i'm saying and like i'll try to i don't like giving unsolicited advice
3: Me either. Parent,
4: right like <laughs> yeah. isn't it the worst as a parent to have some stranger come to you and be like yo you should do this
3: mm-hmm.
4: you know but like, you know, when I go to the, take my kids to the playground, you know, I'm in gentrified Bed-Stuy, So there's a smattering, right? There's like, you know, the um, affluent upwardly mobile black family, you know? <laughs> it might be a mixed race family, or it might just be, you know, the white couple and their kids. And they're like little standoffish. But then you'll see like the cats from the projects come in with their kids. And you know, sometimes I'll just talk with them and just ask them questions and be like, you know, how's school for your kid? like. <laughs> You know do you do the homework with them like you know like what's going on there and like trying to like just drop little questions to get them to ask those questions themselves
3: yeah
4: what i'm saying so like it's not like i'm just coming through with all of this unsolicited advice it's like yo if you need anything you have any questions it is what it is like let me know you know what Mm -hmm. i'm saying
2: so and i think a lot of it is about being a human being and a need and being like that help that resource because you are knowledgeable of x y and z. and uh it speaks a lot about people's character when you just do it because it's the right thing to do it's not yeah. because i'm going to gain something from this person if i do it yeah and um uh, thank you for doing that i just I don't know
4: It's, it's... Really about community though. Like, especially with us black folk, you know what I mean? It's like, you know, you know, you know, Michaela and I used to talk about this when we first moved into the, this place that we have where it was like, she lived here by herself before we met. Mm-hmm. And she would always talk about like being harassed by the guys in the neighborhood, you know, cat calling and all, whatever. Mm-hmm. And like, one of the first things that I did was when I moved in with her was I introduced myself to everyone in, on the block. You know what I'm saying? Whether he was a dope boy, a crackhead, you know, the the person that takes care of the, the, the community garden or, you know, mm-hmm. whoever, I just introduced myself. Cause I'm like, yo, I'm in this community. Like, yo, we're together. I'm your neighbor. I'm an ally. It's all, mm-hmm. it's about us. And if you see my wife and something's going on. Yeah like you already know right so it's like you know we you know I try to have you know some kind of community with us you know what I'm saying because it's like and like I said I do that with the cats at the at the park you know like it's funny like I'll be walking around the neighborhood and dudes would just be like yo what's up and Michaela be like how do you know that dude (laughs) like he looks super scary I'm like yeah but he's got these cute little twin girls And I see him every day taking him to daycare. So he sees me with the kids. I see him with the kids. We say, what's up? Mm -hmm. You know, like, yo, because I I see you homeboy. Like, I see you. Like, I see you every day. Yeah. And I appreciate that. Like, you're holding your own. You're taking care of your shit. And, like, somebody notices that. And, Mm -hmm. like, yo, if no one else is going to tell you, then I'm going to tell you. Like, keep doing your thing. Like, Mm -hmm. I like that.
2: Yeah. And I think with a lot of men today, they look at other people like, oh, that's a new person, they're an intruder. And you just going around, you know, introducing yourself just made everybody feel like, okay. Yeah. I could put my shoulders down now. Yeah,
4: and then the other thing is like, you know, everyone was like weary of like, you know, well, where are you from,
2: mm-hmm.
4: you know what I mean? Like, I, you know, cause, you know, Jay-Z says something like, you know, before the white people move in, the affluent Blacks move in and they're the first gentrifiers. You know what I'm saying? So it was like, I didn't want to be seen as that. And I'm like, yo, dude, I'm from Queens. Like, I grew up on the other side. Like, I grew up in the hood. I just don't want to live in my hood. I'll live in your hood. Right. And I'm cool. But it's like, you know, which is why, like, you know, when the neighborhood got gentrified and, like, all these people start moving in and, like, they're not in ingratiating themselves with the neighborhood, it's kind of like, oh, okay, like, we don't exist. You know what I mean? And it's like, The worst thing you can do as people of color is make someone who looks like you feel invisible like i'm not going to talk to you you know what i'm saying like i'm in a bodega every day and we see each other and i'm not going to say what's up or you know whatever they talk about my dog or they'll you know see what's up with the kids like all the all everyone on my block knows my kids they love them like you know my son is like you know the mayor like he says what's up to everybody you know what I mean? And it's like, you know, my daughter, the youngest one, she's standoffish, but everybody thinks it's cute. <laughs> but like, everybody knows my kids, you yeah. know what I'm saying? Because it's like, they see me with them, they see my wife with them. And it's like, we say hello to everybody. If you're friendly, we're going to be friendly. And it's just, you know, it's, uh, you know, the one thing, you know, we talked about before, we're like, you know, if you're doing it right, like, you just don't really care. Like, you care, but you don't care. Mm -hmm. but you know you really want for your kids to be represented you know what i'm saying and like advocated for it so they're like you know if anything ever happens with my kids and i'm not around i know i have a community of people that know them that will step in and be like where's your dad like where's your mom what's going on you know my daughter's about to turn 13 and like i just recently was like okay you can go to the bodega by yourself like here's five dollars and then you know i'll go out and i'm walking the dog later and somebody's like oh i saw your daughter at the store and you know said hi or whatever whatever and it's like okay cool like mission accomplished like they know that we're a family in this neighborhood and we're a unit and it's mom it's dad it's kids dog you know whatever and you know when the ginger fries first uh moved in you know Michaela would be like yo these white people act like they've never seen a black
3: dad
2: listen listen (laughs) it's crazy to me and they just They look with amazement. I'm just like, this is okay. This is the okay Um, space. I don't know. Like, I always wonder if my mom had the thoughts that I have now of like, imagining my kids being able to go outside and go to the park and come back home like it was normal. Now, I would never feel like. Like, at what age am I going to be okay with them going outside and playing?
4: You want to hear playing? something crazy about that, though? The time that we grew up was way crazier than this. Yes. It's just not right? as shared. But, no, but, like, how old are you? I'm 33. Okay, you're 32. All right. So, like, I'm 42, right? So, like, mm-hmm. my childhood is mid-80s to mid-90s. And when I'm talking about, that's like right in the middle of the crack era, mass incarceration, super predators, like that whole mm-hmm. thing. Like going to school, you had to watch out for the crackheads, the stick up kids, the, the the kids who were poorer than you that saw you with some dope ass shit on that wanted to like, you know, take your shit mm-hmm. and just, you know, racist ass cops, racist ass white people. And, my, and like, I would literally be outside from like eight o'clock in the morning to like eight o'clock at night as right. a 10 year old. Like, on my bike, like, my mom didn't know that I was all over Queens. Mm -hmm. And as I got older, like, riding my bike into Harlem and Brooklyn, as long as I was back by a certain time, like, we was cool. But, like, now it's like, give your kid a phone and, like, you can track his GPS. I don't want to
2: give my kid a phone.
4: (laughs) I hear you. But, like, you can't hide the world from them, right? I know. And what you don't want to do is, like, put them in a position where, like, okay, everyone else has phones, Mm-hmm. and then they're sitting there like you know yeah. whatever but at the end of the day it's like you know i had to i had to do this with my sister and my oldest niece and i had to do this even with my ex-wife i'm like yo dude like stop thinking of technology as like this hindrance like you mm-hmm. you can use it for, to your advantage yeah. and like you know you know it's same thing with anything else these days, like social media, right? Social media isn't bad. Bad people put bad stuff on social media. But there's stuff on social media that you can learn. You can, you know, seek information. You can, you know, people can teach you things. You can get ideas and inspiration. It's all in how you use it. So right. it's like, you know, I work in marketing and social media. So it's like, I understand, like, okay, what's the bad? And, like, have that conversation. Like, mm-hmm. my niece... You know, her dad isn't always around. And even when he is around, he's not the most, you know, he's a good dude, don't get me wrong, but he's not the most, uh, how can I say, on top of the dangers, right? So at the time, my niece is like 17, 18 years old. She's 26 now, but this is like eight years ago at the beginning of social media and like digital phones. And she had to learn a couple of lessons the hard way. Like, you know, she sent a boy a picture of her in a bathing suit. And next thing you know, it's on social media. And then I have to have sit there and have a talk with my sister and like, yo, look, like, you can check her phone. You know this, right? Like, you can see where she's at. Like, you know, you have to have this conversation about, you know, like, what to share and what not to share. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying?
2: It's, it's all balanced. Like, are you, te- are you teaching your child that, you know, this is reality for real, and then this is what people put on the internet? And uh, if you're not having a conversation, giving them anything can be a negativity. If yeah
4: but it's about you know you you said what's real and like you know what's what's reality and what's not real but that's like really perspective Mm -hmm. so like are you having a real conversation with your kid like if they're looking at certain content on um social media or on the internet like have a critical conversation what is this person trying to tell you what are they selling you what's Mm -hmm. the message here what kind of person do you think this is yeah You know what I'm saying? And ask them the questions that they're thinking for themselves. And at the end of the day, when it's time that you're not there, they'll start asking those questions themselves. Like, is this for me? Is this something that I'm really into? Do I really want to do this? Like, you know, some people just give their kids phone and then let them run wild.
3: Yeah. Or
4: devices and then let them run wild. And it's like, you know, parents used to be amazed at us because we, we gave Christian an iPad early. And he was on it a lot. And they were like, well, aren't you, um, you know, afraid that he's going to, you know, develop bad habits on the iPad? And I'm like, yo, dude, like, he he watches Disney Junior. And, like, he watches videos on space. He can tell you all of the gas planets and all of the, you know, planets in the solar system and how many moons this one has. Why? Because we took the device and then we gave him the information that we wanted him to have. And, like... You know, I have an older brother or whatever, and he's, you know, super late on social media and he's talking to me about the kids. And I'm like, you think it's bad now? Wait till they get to be adults. Mm -hmm. What's the technology going to be when they're adults? Right. And at the end of the day, if they're not mastering the technology, we're disenfranchising our own kids.
2: Right. So um, I let my daughter have my iPad when she was two, and that's how she. Started putting together words just remembering the keyboard and then slowly I let her watch videos where they put letters together to make words and hear it she was spelling my name at three she was spelling her name at three and I'm really big on giving my kids like scenarios on life so I'll ask them just out the blue we might be in the car I'll stop the music and I'll say what do you do if we're in a store and you can't find me? Who do you go to for help? Yeah. What do you say? What is my first and last name? Like
3: legally. Yeah.
2: What is my yeah. phone number? Will you go to a man just by himself, or would you go to a woman and a man or a woman with children or somebody with a name tag? This is a yeah. name tag. Yeah. And this like those discussions is what's vital to how your kids are gonna navigate in the world without you. If they can't do that and they can't put two and two together, you're going they're going to struggle, and then you're going to struggle with stress later on on why don't they know they don't know yep. because you didn't, you, didn't you didn't teach them. Together.
4: Yeah. You didn't teach them.
2: Yeah. You
4: know, you know, we uh a friend of mine who has kids, he's older than me, but he has started having kids after me. Mm-hmm. So we have these conversations and he would be telling me about how he tells his son to go clean his room and he doesn't go clean the room. He goes off and does something else. And mm-hmm. I'm like, yo bro, did you sit there and teach him how to clean his room?
3: Mm-hmm.
4: Like, did you really tell him like, this is where your stuff goes. This is how you uh, how you sweep. That's how you make up your bed. Like if you didn't tell him or show him exactly what you want, you cannot expect him to then go off and then do it on their own. And you know, one of when it comes to parenting like I have this this one blanket umbrella philosophy and that is like get your kids prepared to live in the world we live in Mm -hmm. not the world you want for them but the one that actually exists and you know this comes up a lot now because you know Christians in the class where he's like one of three brown kids right and he's in this uh, you know, accelerated, gifted and talented program and it's nothing but white parents. And the, the, the parent group is an amazing parent group. We're on like text messages and like we communicate yeah. all the time. We actually have like a once a week Zoom thing that we do Friday nights just to like nice. check in with each other.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: And they're like, yo, when was the first time you had this conversation with Christian about racism? And I'm like, at four. Uh. And they're like, why so early? You didn't want, like, no, like he's, a, he's gonna be a black man one day. Like, I have to get him prepared to live in the world that we actually live in. Mm -hmm. You know, my oldest daughter, when she was three, I had to have a conversation about colorism. Wow. It broke my heart. Mm -hmm. You know, my dad's Puerto Rican, and on that side of the family, you know, mainly they are like Taino Indians, how they look. They're dark, you know, jet black hair, Mm -hmm. but... We've married into different uh, races of Latinos. You know what I'm saying? So, like, there's a cousin who's lighter and a cousin just a myriad of different shades, you Mm -hmm. know? My brother married um, a Cuban woman. And my kids' cousins are, you know, one is brown skin with, you know, um, curly, straight black hair. And the other one is light skin with long, black, curly hair. Mm -hmm. And, like, my daughter was just like how come I can't be light like Cousin Selah? Like I want her hair. And it was like, you know, I had to like literally put her up, I had to like put like take several family photos and just put them all together, right? Mm. And I'm like, well, this is our whole family and we're different colors and there's reasons for that. Mm. But it's okay, like daddy's brown, like grandma's brown, like grandpa is super dark. And, like, this is just who we are, and these are our traits. Like, you know, no such thing as good hair. Like, it's different and textures th- of hair. Like, yeah. I have like three different textures of hair on my head yeah. because of my Puerto Rican dad and my mom, who's African American, who has a lot of, you know, Blackfoot Indian in her or whatever. So, like, her mom could pass for white. Mm you know and it's like we had to have these conversations and it's like at three years old I have to have this
2: conversation with a little girl yeah I just had um, a discussion with my six year old about race and I just googled different nationalities and I pointed to them and I said this is uh, what Americans would say is a white person but if we went to Europe Someone may say that they're from Russia or they're from this place. And then with my parents, my both of my parents are Jamaican. And so both of my kids' dads are American, but their hair textures are different. So even when I bathe my girls, the oldest one, my six-year-old saying, I wish I had Arya's hair. And I'll ask her why because it's just easier and it, it, it's just straighter and longer. And I said, Anya, your hair is longer than Arya's, but your hair is curly, it's tight. tight uh, yeah, Aria's yeah. hair is like loose, kind of like straight curls. And Arya's hair, I can't do at night and it be done in the morning. It's a mess. And yeah. Anya's hair, I can do at night and it's done for like three days. And my hair is completely different from theirs. So it's kind of like... I'm always an open book to talking to them about their differences, always telling them what I like about them individually and telling yep, them yep. in front of each other so they don't feel like oh, her, she's better than me or I'm better than her and all of this because it doesn't matter because the reality is girls always grow up thinking they want something else that's not theirs because yeah. it's better and then when you get my age, you learn to love the fact that you're different. Yeah, yeah. It's just life, and you have to be honest about it and have that conversation at home before they go outside and someone tell them that's ugly, that's wrong, um, that's not good enough, you need to be this. And I'm not with that. And even still, my mom is one of 13 kids, wow. and all of them are different shades. Um, most of their hair is different my brothers I'm one of five and I'm the only girl I'm the last one all of our shades are different but you can see bits and pieces of my mom in our face and um, I always share that with them because people we people of a African diaspora we are just different we can have kids four generations later that look like our great-great-great-great-great-great-grandparents. Yep, yep. And that's just how genetics work with us. And I'm all about embracing that. And that's what we have to yep. do is embrace it. So that's really good. it's message. like my sister,
4: my sister is, uh, she took after my grandmother, so she's lighter than the rest of us.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: But same mom, same dad. And mm-hmm. it's like, she looks just like us. But her skin tone is like, a, you know, a couple of clicks lighter. Now, she's got two daughters. One is a shade darker than her, and one's a shade lighter than her. And both of their dads are brown like me, with the dark, you know, kinky,
3: you know, nappy hair. Yeah.
4: But you know, my youngest niece, she's got this long, curly, straight hair. And my older niece kind of like has hair like, you know, uh, my mom, which is kind of like, it doesn't really grow long. And it just kind of like, you know, stops right here. But, you know, it's thicker and it's a little bit more coarse. But the young one, it's like you throw some water in that joint, grab a brush and... That's my youngest.
2: That's my three-year-old. And it's, it's just embracing the fact that you're different. And even with, you know, teaching... Your family, you have to teach the outside world because yep. growing up and just walking around with them and pushing in a stroller, I would have people come up to me and tell me, oh, her dad must be Mexican or her dad must be white. I'm just like, don't. No. And you have that conversation and they're going to walk away learning something.
4: I used to love having this conversation with my, when I was with my ex-wife. She's like super light. Mm -hmm. and freckles like you know kind of like not blonde but like you know kind of light brownish hair and we used to be at the playground and my daughter is darker than me Mm. and when she used to go to the playground with her alone they would think that she was the nanny Mm. or the caretaker Yeah. or I would love the question of they used to ask my ex-wife which one of your parents is white and she'd be like neither right blow their mind <laughs> and then she'd say something slick like you know both my parents are light which means that at some point in our family tree some mm-hmm. white people raped our ancestors right so two light-skinned people that come from that can make a baby that's light-skinned
3: right
4: and we're still black right and well, they just be sitting there stunned and we just be like
2: yeah, for a long time, a lot of people thought I was the babysitter to my kids. And I'm just yep. like, no. like, Yeah, no kids. one
4: thinks I'm the babysitter to my kids. They all look just like me, so it's like...
2: And that's the thing, so that was like one of my questions is does it um, excite you to have multiple kids and they all are individually different, but they still have like guys like in their face yeah
4: so like chloe like i said she's 13 she's about to be 13 and uh she's from my previous uh marriage Mm -hmm. and i told my ex-wife from Jump, like yo the genes are strong yeah so like don't expect much (laughs) right and when my daughter came out she came out red which i attributed to you know my dad's uh, you know the Taino Indian Puerto Rican has mm-hmm. that little red skin coat yeah. and then every day from that red day she just got darker and darker mm. so she looks just like me but she's like a shade darker than me like a tick darker yeah. and you like we talked about genetics like I think that's from my mom's dad because my mom's dad was like he was straight African mm. you know but you know they're from uh, North Carolina And when I got remarried, I told Michaela, like, don't expect much. The genes are strong. And she would be like, the genes are strong in my family, too. And and she was right. And as Christian was, Christian came out like a shade lighter than me. Like, he's kind of like a reddish almond kind of complexion, kind of like yours.
2: Mm -hmm.
4: And, um, but he looks just like me.
2: I know it's just like his little
4: face. I'm just like, look, it's yeah. So, and the funny thing is that when he when he was a toddler, he looked more like Michaela because they both have dimples. Yeah. So, like, that's one thing that he took from her was like dimples. Hmm. And um, as he's getting older, and he's you know he's about to be seven, he's kind of getting into that big kid phase. His body looks like mine, like his fit, you know, his bone structure, like everything, everything. And I'm just amazed. And now even like Elle Elle looks just like Christian did when she he was that age but she really took my mannerisms and that's that's a scary thing like when your kids like do things that you do like you don't know like is it nature or nurture right so like but like she has these looks sometimes where she'll give somebody a scowl and like that's me like yeah. I'm not the out, you know, when it comes to strangers, I'm not the most nice, cuddly person. Like, I'm on some, like, you got to prove to yourself, you got to prove to me who you are, like, yeah. and then I'll warm up or whatever. So, like, strangers will come to her, she'll just be like, turning up her lip, eyebrows, furl. She does it to me. She'll catch an attitude with me and look at me with my face. And I'm like.
2: <laughs> it's almost like seeing yourself and be like, oh, I know what you want to say. You probably can't say it. But yeah,
4: what exactly. So exactly. like, you know, I find that interesting. And it's like watching your kids grow up with that and like seeing the differences between them. Because it's funny, like my two oldest, they don't have the same mom, but they're literally the same person. That's funny. They are literally the same person. They're always happy, always have a smile on their face, mm-hmm. always happy-go-lucky. I don't know where that came from because that's certainly not me. Yeah. And they're just like two peas in a pod. Like right now they're on like, uh, Minecraft or something building a world together
3: mm-hmm. and
4: like you know Ellie the little one she's off in the corner doing her lonely lonesome thing mm-hmm. like I used to do you yes. know solo dolo but you know it's it's, it's it, I, I find that fascinating it's crazy like how they act how they look who mm-hmm. they take after all types of
2: stuff
3: yeah um,
4: it's cool. a fun part of being a parent though
3: like
2: it is it's fun and it's kind of like trippy because you're like are y'all seeing this, or is it just me? Yeah, yeah, so, um, yeah. I love it. What are your goals for all of your kids? Um,
4: so my children are extremely intelligent, like bookwise, right? Like Christian's got this photographic memory where he like reads something one time and that's it. Like he mm. absorbs. He's like a sponge mm. for knowledge right? Whereas Chloe, she's super smart, but she doesn't have the natural gift of recall that Christian has. So her brilliance is in her hard work. She grinds. Mm -hmm. Like she'll sit there and read, you know, uh, I think was the last book she read, The Shining. It's like a thousand pages. Yeah. So it's like, and she blew through the book in like a month so like for like a 12 year old it was just like you know and like with her i started the whole critical thinking you know piece the other other good part about that is that her my ex-wife her profession is education and more specifically teaching teachers how to teach and early childhood development right so i learned a lot from her yeah as far as like early things right so She's the one who got me into like asking critical questions. Like we'll read a book, like who's the protagonist? Who's the antagonist? Like who's yeah. the good guy? Who's the bad guy? Like what is this character's message? You know, whatever. So like, real, like for my kids, like I really feel like they have everything already within them to take like that Ivy League step, right? Mm-hmm. Like on my mom's side of the family, there's like they're highly educated, like uh, you know, professors and uh, you know, scientists and teachers and you know, my older brother, he, he went to uh, you know, he graduated with a degree in pharmacy. Like he's a brilliant person as far as like science and chemistry and you know, all of this and mathematics. So like, but we never went, you know, I have a couple of brothers that went to HBCUs. I went to CW Post here in Long Island, which is a really good school. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I got accepted into Cornell, but I just couldn't afford it. And it's was like, like, I feel like that's like their step. Like that's how they take our family to like the next level. Yeah. Like to test them at like the highest academic level. You know what I mean? Like when Christian was born, you know michaela she's not from here she's from chicago mm-hmm. so like she really didn't understand how new york city worked as far as like schools and public schools and your zone school and your this and your that yeah. and i told her from jump like listen chris is going to take this gnt like he's going to pass this test and you know he's going to be set up to go to like the specialized high schools or like private school in high school or mm-hmm. whatever But like this is the track that we need to like get him on. So like my goal for them is like for them, honestly, I just want them to find something that they love, Mm
3: -hmm.
4: that they can do. Cause I, what I do for a living, I love it. It's my passion, right? Mm -hmm. And it's something that I found in high school from my older brother, who kind of brought me into like marketing and fashion and branding, and like it stuck with me. So like, I want them to like compete academically at the highest level. Yeah, but also find something that they can do for a living where like they feel fulfilled and like so you know me working in like fashion like the last 17 years like my daughter would come to my office and like I would show her like this is how clothes are made like it's designed here it's you know the technical design is done here and like this is how we produce it and this is how it comes and we sell it and we market it and you know this Mm -hmm. so like I used to do go to like the MoMA design store and go get like these little kits that would like help her make stop motion videos. And like now she's like wants to make YouTube videos and edit and this and she's coding and all of this stuff. And it's just like, you know, I want them to be able to like take their ideas and like make them reality, whether it's a business or whether it's their career and be able to do that. And again, you know, like I said, I, I think that whether they do it or not, like it's going to be their path, but like, I want them to like compete academically, you know, I'm a very competitive person. So like, I kind of like mess with them Yeah. and you know, you know, I tell Christian, like, you know, Chloe just got straight A's. <laughs> not to the pit them against each other. <laughs> it, when I was a kid... You know, my sister was, my sister's four years older than me, and she had no desire to t- do anything in school. Like, she was just like, when I graduate, that's it. You know, whatever. Yeah. And, you know, college isn't for everybody. Right. She eventually found her passion. She loves working in mm-hmm. hospitality and the food business. She went to culinary school and, like, you know, it was taught how to, like, manage restaurants, and she's doing that now, and she loves it. She never went to college though. Mm-hmm. So, like, When she was, uh, let me say, I was probably 10, she's probably 14, I would, like, literally pick up her books and read everything that she was assigned to in class, and just be like, yo, write about this, like, this is what the book is about.
3: Mm -hmm.
4: So, like, my mom would be like, your older brother, your younger brother is tutoring you? Like, really? So, like, she would kind of, like, and then, like, my brother was in college at the time, he was at Howard, and, like, she'd be like, you know, your brother just made the dean for us, right? And then my brother, that you know, graduated with a degree in pharmacy. He went to North Carolina A and T. And my mom would be like, "You know, he's a scientist, right?" Like, the you know aim higher was, you know within the huh? the aim hire was within the
2: house. Huh? The aim higher was within the
4: house. Because it was like, you know, you you have a lot of brothers in the house, like so, and you are the youngest, right? So like, I was the youngest for a while, but I'm like the second youngest. You know that sibling rivalries are only with the younger one. Yeah, the older one doesn't care. Like, who are you? Like, get out of here. Like, yeah. but the younger one is just like, oh, I see you. Okay, you said it here. I'm mm-hmm. gonna go after you there. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, it's you know, it's crazy because, like, you know, Chloe is brilliant in her in her own right, and like I said, she she has like a an appetite for reading that I love and um you know she's her mom is one of those people that like has figured out the system and like scholarships and this and oh yeah you're black but you're also latina and you're a girl that is key. That, right yeah. so like she she got her into this boarding school where like you know it's an all-girls Uh, elite boarding school and you know senators have gone there and women in business and CEOs and like they've they've been around since the late 1800s and all of this stuff and it's like she's a straight A student at this elite school and I'd be looking at my son like bruh she's she's killing you right now like i don't know what you're gonna do and then he'll come on you know he's in first grade so like they don't really get grades, grades but the teacher like loves him and like he does his work and like he applies you know as long as he's like not playing around like he's good but like you know like that's what I, i i first see them like they're they're all smart within their you know they have like their different mental talents or whatever but like i just feel like if they figure out something that they have a passion for, like if, as long as I can like kind of guide. So here's another philosophy in parenting. Right. And this is a, I don't know if you've heard about this or there's a book, I'll send you a link. It's um, called the carpenter and the gardener parent. Right? Okay. So my ex-wife is the carpenter parent, right? Like she feels like as long as she gives has the right tools, she can shape and fashion my older daughter into what she thinks would be successful. And that works, it's just a philosophy, it's just different, right? Whereas myself, I feel like I'm the gardener parent, right? Like you make space and you plant a seed and like you water it and like you give it sunlight and you give it food and however it grows, it grows. But like mm-hmm. you control the outside environment, but you let them grow as they want. And like wherever they go, you just push that along. Yeah. So, you know, it's kind of like, just like the philosophy of in like my, you know, my ex-wife, she's on some, you know, carpenter. She's going to make my daughter into an Ivy League student. And I'm like, okay, like, you know, but when she comes over here, she knows that she's in the garden and okay, like, yeah, you, you need to read for 60 minutes today. So, you know, read whatever you want. I don't even care. Well,
2: that's good that she has both though, because it's like, um, I have to run with this parent and then this other parent, I get to stretch. Yeah. And and maybe the stretching is before I run and maybe the stretching is after I run, but it's always good to stretch. So it's like a good balance for her.
4: And I totally get the other side with my ex-wife. You know, she's a black woman and like she was taught like, yo, you do this, like you go to school, like these are the tools that you need to like, you know, be successful and this is what you need to do as a woman to you know x y and z and like I totally get that you know like and uh, you know I grew up you know my mom would be like yo like you you know you're a black man like you got to be twice as smart you got to get better grades like you got to you know you got to do things to another level just to be accepted as an equal so like that's just your plight. like deal with it yeah
2: It's, it's real and it's honest And even, like, when it comes to behavior, I always talk to my six-year-old. I'm just like, you know what, Anya, because your skin color is brown, you can't act a certain way in school like most kids. You have to make sure your behavior is a certain way. And if you feel like you're angry or if you feel like you know you just don't want to do it today you have to find some something within yourself that tells you to just get through and do it so you can get home and then you can relax you do whatever you want to do here but at school you can't act out and none none of that because they will put you in a box that you can't get out of to do other things like other kids and that's the honest truth of how your children are looked at get kids
4: prepared to live in the world that exists yeah and like it just is what it is and that was the racism conversation came from that conversation like when you go to school you can't do what you think you want to do and this is why because you're black and this is how the world views you and you know there's a kid in christian's class this little white boy if he was black he wouldn't be in GNT. He'd be in special ed because he can't act. Mm. He can't control himself. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But since he's a white kid, they're like, oh, he's smart too, so we're gonna nurture and coddle him in this advanced environment.
2: He's just having a bad day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, My question for you is, and now that you talked about, you know, how your kids are very within their own lane, is the fact that your children really gravitate towards learning and taking in information, a way you feel appreciated as a dad, or is it another way that they make you feel appreciated as a dad?
3: Um,
4: you know, it's funny because Christian is very empathetic to other people so he will always a a girl in his class at a birthday party and she went to her mom and said that Christian said something to her that made her day and made her feel special and he just has a gift for that like if he sees that you're sad he'll try to come over and console you and cheer you up that's just who he is he feels people's energy and it's just like hey I'm there for you and he's like six and it's just like super cute right mm-hmm. so like he always does a good job like when it comes to my oldest daughter though like she's kind of like in those teenager she's trying to be a teenager right now so like <laughs> she's like on some like whatever stuff yeah but every once in a while she'll say some things that like lets me know that she gets it
3: mm-hmm.
4: so like You know she's she's actually started cross-country running last year so like one of the first things I did I I couldn't she lives in her 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 and her mom live in Allentown Pennsylvania Mm -hmm. and like all of her track meets were like during the week so it was tough I couldn't get out to her track meets but like I would drive out there on the weekend they go see her and we go for a run and um, you know she tries to be all cool and shit and like, yeah, dad, whatever. But like every once in a while she'll just, you know, I'll hear her talking on the phone with her friends and it'll be like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, my dad bought me these new Adidas to go run in and like, they're like super comfy and they're cool. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, so like, I, I know she appreciates things and I know mm-hmm. she, she might not always say it to me, but yeah. like, I get it and I hear it. The little one, she's a tyrant. Like she doesn't yeah. care about anything. She's like, whatever, dude. Like, hopefully like when she gets older like she'll like understand but you know the one thing that her and i bond over is like snacks which is funny she's a foodie well we call each other the snack monsters right because it's like you know i'm always like going back i'm like eating their fruit snacks or like you That's know, me whatever yeah. yeah so like um Anytime, like, I'll go to, like, the coffee, I'll go to the coffee shop, and, like, every once in a while, I'll go get, like, this uh, pastry, an apple leaf, right, Mm -hmm. and the little one comes by, and she's like, me too? (laughs) So, I'll share with her, and, like, anytime I'm snacking on anything, she'll, like, literally just dig in my hands. Like, I was eating some cashews earlier, and she was just like, (laughs) thanks, dad, you know, whatever, so you know, Christian is more verbal and out with it. Mm -hmm. Chloe, like, internalizes things more. So, like, you know, I know that they get it. Um, None of them have an appreciation for things, which is good. But when you buy them stuff and it's just, like, broken Mm -hmm. or mishandled or misused, you're like, what the hell? Like, you know, whatever. But, you know, they just... you know we spoil them and we give them stuff and we're just like you know what me especially like my mom when my mom and dad divorced my mom had six kids and she was by herself and I was the last one and she ain't have shit so it was just like I grew up without so Mm -hmm. like you know you know my brothers would buy me stuff because they were older or whatever I would take their hand-me-downs and be on some cool you know whatever but like you know they I think they appreciate that there's a difference Mm -hmm. with the stuff that they have and, you know, how it could be. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because, like, we make them, like, give away toys all the time. Like, okay, like, we're going to go donate these toys. I love that. Like, we have way too much stuff. Mm -hmm. And um, so, you know, I think they get it you know, please, I I yell at them all the time, so <laughs> it's like, they better get it, and yeah. I, I I drill it into them, like, that's what I give for my mom, like, that mother's guilt, mm-hmm. like,
2: you know what I do for you? <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. Um. Well, speaking of running, what got you into running, and is that a way that you decompress from everything that's going on? Okay, um, so...
4: I got into running because of an injury that I had. Um, Up until, let me see, up until like Christian was born, I was still actively like playing basketball, like in leagues, Mm -hmm. you know, stuff like that. Even if it was just pickup or like my boys would get a gym and we'd rent one out and just, you know, whatever. So one day I'm playing ball and I went up for the ball and someone else was going up too. And they kind of like, separated my shoulder and I tore the labrum in my shoulder and my doctor was like okay you can get the surgery and you'll be out for nine to 12 months Mm
3: -hmm.
4: or you can just let it heal naturally and you'll be out for six so I was like okay no surgery I'm gonna let it just you know whatever but in that six months I gained a lot of weight because I couldn't you know if you ever hurt your shoulder or anything in here... You try not to move it, but it's everything. Not even that. You don't know... You, you mm-hmm. have no idea how it affects your movement. Like, mm-hmm. I couldn't drive. Because if I had to reverse for me to do oh, this...
0: Yeah.
4: Oh, it was wow. painful. So I literally sat on a couch for like six months, and I didn't. Mm-hmm. I didn't run. And this was before Christian. This before me and Michaela got married, mm-hmm. whatever. So my boy was just like go running like it's it your shoulder will be okay like Mm -hmm. you'll figure it out so I started running a little bit then and I kind of got hooked then like okay like runners high is a real thing like Mm -hmm. after a while it was like okay yo this feels fantastic right and then I kind of gave it up for a while and then Michaela and I got married and then we had Christian and then you know when you're married and your wife is pregnant, like, you eat what she eats. And, right. you, you pregnant know, not too. are You're home yeah. a lot, right? So I gained, you know, some sympathy pounds. And then even after Christian was born, same thing. Like, I wasn't working out. Like, you know, got a young child at home. Like, I got to be home. And I come home and I got to be home. And, like, we're eating and we're eating, we're eating. And I'll send you the picture on IG. But we took a picture in Prospect Park Mm
2: -hmm.
4: and I saw the way my shirt fit me. Oh no. And it was a large shirt to begin with when I usually wear medium shirts but it was a large shirt and my gut was stressing those buttons. Now people tell me that I didn't look bad like I they're like oh you look good with weight on Mm -hmm. or whatever but I didn't feel like that I didn't feel like myself. Mm -hmm. I grew up thin. I was always a skinny kid. And like, I was maybe 225 pounds at the time, Mm -hmm. where my comfortable weight is about 175, 180. Mm -hmm. So that was like in the fall, like early November. Mm -hmm. And I just told myself, I said, you know what? I'm gonna sign up for a half marathon to give Mm -hmm. myself a goal to train and get in shape. And now this marathon, this half marathon was like five months away. Okay. So I gave myself time to like, you know, whatever. And I got hooked on racing at that point. (laughs) Because like the race is like nothing you've experienced. like. It's, it's, it's an adrenaline rush that I hadn't had since I was playing college football, where it was like, wow. And the crazy thing is like, there's a lot of similarities between runners and football players. Like you have to be really crazy to put your body through that punishment. Like taking the pounding and running on concrete every day and running 20, 30, 40 miles a week
2: to train for races, like you, you are insane. Like something I've like, seen your maps. I'm, I'm just like, so this, yeah. is, a, this is not a week's so, run. This is a day's run. <laughs> yeah.
4: So that was like 2016. I ran that first race. Yeah. And at the race, I met all of these people where it was just like, holy crap, there are running crews in New York. Like there are clubs for this. Like... There's a whole, like, lifestyle, like, Mm -hmm. of people that, like, you know, are just runners and, like, they're black and, like, a lot of white people, don't get me wrong, but, like, you know, and, like, people that I knew from, like, the fashion and marketing and, like, sneaker music industry were at the race. And I was just like, oh, crap, okay. Mm -hmm. And then it just got to the point, it's funny, because I ran that half marathon and then I started running half marathons and I really like the distance of the half marathons like it's 13 miles so like it's a lot mm-hmm. but it doesn't take all day like if you run a marathon like three and three to four hours of your day is stood on your feet but like you know you can run a two hour half and a decent you know whatever and that's a great distance like okay I'm mm-hmm. fine with that and then i'm a competitive person and i'm not competitive against other people i'm competitive with myself yeah. so like how do i get to the next stage so we from like how do i break nine minutes a mile mm-hmm. and then okay how do i get eight minutes a mile and then, okay so like can i run eight minutes a mile for 10 miles now now can i get that eight minutes a mile for 15 and then 20 and then 22 And then it's like, okay, I dropped all the way down. Now I wanna run a sub seven minute mile, but I'm gonna do it in like three to five miles. So it was just like all of these games I would play in my head with myself. And then it just got to the point where it wasn't until the running made me look at my diet that I started to say to myself, well, yo, like, this is just something that I need to make into my lifestyle because like my initial motivation was I need to get in shape so that I wanted to be there for my kids' kids, right? So like, I never wanted to be the old dad that couldn't do anything. So like, I wanted to be in shape so that like, I could go skateboarding with my son or, you know, go play basketball or, you know, whatever. Like I wanted to be like the active dad, but then it was like, oh shit, like my kids are gonna have kids. And like, am I gonna be like my mom, like the cool grandparent? And like doing stuff and you know whatever but then it was just like when I started to get my diet involved I looked at like my family health history and like I've got diabetes on both sides like my oldest my older brother who's like nine years older than me he's a diabetic like there's hypertension and high blood pressure and like then it was just like the research that I had done to for my diet to become a better runner just started enlightening me to like, okay, lifestyle changes. So like I recently just stopped being vegan after like three years. So it was just like running and then like, you know, this plant-based diet and it wasn't until like I did the plant-based diet that I really found out that what I thought was normal before Mm -hmm was actually me feeling bad physically. Because mm. when I went on the plant-based diet and I my body detoxed and cleansed, mm-hmm. I started to get runner's high just in the middle of the day from eating and eating clean. Your mm-hmm. body is like flushing out every single day and like relieving toxins. And like, it was just like, holy shit, like, I could have been feeling this this whole time. And I'm a person that, like, yeah, I was an athlete growing up. I went to college to play football. But after that, like, I was a smoker. Like, I smoked a pack a day of cigarettes. Like, you know, there was a time in my life when I was young and single where I partied from Monday to Sunday. Like, every single night, there was something to do. You know, me and my brother, you know, knew all the promoters in New York. My brother made god-awful amounts of money, had all of these connections, and we were just... Go out drinking every night. Mm. And then it was just like, holy shit. Like, it first started with stop smoking cigarettes. And, you know, that was around the time of me running, you know, starting to run or whatever. Because I remember I would like the last like pack of cigarettes that I smoked. I remember smoking a cigarette and it was just like, my chest felt like death. And I was just like, okay, I got to stop. Like, this enough is enough. Like, this has to end and the running helped because it helped me detox from the nicotine and like I went cold turkey and it was just like total lifestyle like you know so the running now honestly I tell people all the time the three things that I do that's family running work I don't have room for anything else like my friends they understand like they Mm -hmm. totally get it like I don't see them as much but they totally get it and it's just like running is my me time, right? Like that's my self care, right? Like
3: yeah.
4: I wake up every morning, you know, Michaela's like, you going for a long run and I'll tell her like, yeah, I'll be out for 60 minutes. And that 60 minutes, whatever I run that day, that's the time where like I can formulate my plan for the day, I can clear my head if something's bothering me. I tell people all the time, I'll go out for a run with anxiety and like a problem. And by mm-hmm. the time I'm done, If the problem isn't solved, I have a better framework to attack the problem.
2: That's good.
4: So, like, now it's like, for me, it's like self-care. It's just Mm -hmm. like, I need to clear my mind. I need to release some toxins out of my body. And I need that because, you know, the older you get, the less opportunity you have to to do that. And it's Mm -hmm. like, people ask me, how do I run so much? How do I find the time? And I'm like, you don't find time you make time and if you're not you know and you know people are like well how do you get started and I'm like one mile run one mile and see how you do see how you feel and at the end of that run one mile eventually you're going to say oh I can run another mile and another one and another and that's it come in what's up bud you going to bed night night Say hi.
2: Hi. Hi.
4: Go to bed, okay? Close that door behind you. Love you. Close this door, too. Love you. So, um, you know, for people that can't really fathom the whole running thing, like if you can run a 10-minute mile, which is not fast at all. Yeah. You can run if you run 3 of those miles, right? That's 30 minutes out of your day.
2: That's not Are
4: You going to tell me you can't find 30 minutes in your day to do something for yourself?
2: That's a show. It's <laughs> an episode.
4: Less than an episode. Like, mm-hmm. you know? So like build it into your day. Like, yo, can I find 30 minutes to do something for myself?
2: Yeah. Hot yoga used to do that for me when I was in New York. Like going to hot yoga is like
3: yeah, you, yeah. you come
2: out of that thing and you you're so relaxed. It's kind of like your yeah, whole body got has its own pain reliever and you're just yeah, like
3: yeah.
2: ah, I'm I, like yeah. nobody can make me angry because I'm, I'm. But great. it's like
4: finding that one thing, you know what I mean? Like where it's like for you, you know what I'm saying? So <laughs> you know, it's just uh, at this point, it's like. You know i've set some kind of goals for myself and Mm -hmm. it's you know last year was a tough year because i went overboard like i ran four marathons in a 12 month span and i was just like dude like don't ever do that again (laughs) um and it's not so much the 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 marathons it's the training for the marathons like the training is harder than the actual race so I just had to like, I burnt out and I told myself, I'm like, this year I'm going to run less races and run more miles so that I can get back to enjoying running. Mm-hmm. And then COVID-19 happened, so all the races got canceled so I ain't got no choice but to you know, get back to getting the feeling of like, oh, I want to love running again, you know what I mean? Yeah. So kind of like in that sweet spot right now.
2: So being that you went from having horrible habits on your body to great habits on your body when you go to the doctor is your doctor amazed at the 360 of of, your health? Well no
4: because at the time that I was having those bad habits I never went to the doctor like I just wouldn't go to the doctor like I'm 20 something years old I'm like (laughs) early 30s and it's like my body hadn't gone through any changes Yeah. to like I didn't thank God I didn't have anything that was like detrimental to like a scare or whatever yeah. so it was just something that I came to on my own which thank god I did yeah. but now it's just like you know I'm just going for a checkup and it's just like all right dude like how many miles are you running now like are you okay he does worry about uh, uh, my heart because mm-hmm. I stopped playing football because I had a, 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 a an irregular heartbeat yeah, And he thinks that, like, my uh, heart rate is a little high and my blood pressure is a little high, but uh-huh. I don't need to do anything for it because I'm, ex- I'm doing cardio, like, five to six times a week. So, yeah. you know, whatever. But, um, you know, it's just when I tell people that I used to smoke, like, people who don't, people who've known me mm-hmm. for a long time, have seen all of the changes, right? And they're like just amazed, right? But there are people that just have met me through running. Maybe like, dude, you smoke cigarettes?
2: That's how I am because I'm trying to imagine you in in some other
4: state other than- Well, well, so in another life, I was a roadie on music tours. (laughs) So I was maybe 23, I was really young. And uh, I was on this tour and um, uh, I was a, a light social smoker mm-hmm. and the tour that I was on I worked for the company that sponsored the tour and it was a liquor company oh, no. so I was responsible for making sure like the artists in their dressing rooms had all the liquor they wanted or was in their writer or, you know, we're at a meet and greet and we had corporate sponsors in like, they'd be like, you know, wine and champagne and whatever. So like I had access to alcohol, like you would not even believe, like I would walk into a a liquor distributor and I would take what I needed for the show. And they'd be like, do you want this for yourself? Yeah. I'm like 23. Right. So I'm like, you know, and, I'm on tour. There are girls. I'm trying to like, you know, tour bus life. I've got, you know. But I was on a bus with audiovisual people mm-hmm. who set up all the electronics or whatever. And mm-hmm. half of them smoked. So like you work a 16-hour day on tour, and the only thing you get to do is go back to the bus and kick it with the people on your bus.
2: So you just end up smoking anyway.
4: So what happened was I had all the alcohol, so they would always give me a cigarette because they knew that
2: wow. whatever.
4: So the tour goes through North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And one of the guys was like, I'm tired of you bumming cigarettes. And he bought me a carton of cigarettes, 20 packs. What? So if I wasn't hooked then, by the time I finished that carton, no matter how long it took me, I was hooked. And I was hooked. And this is, a, I'm talking about, this is what? Early 2000s? Mm. So, this is before 9-11, so, like, yeah, like early 2000s, like, maybe, yeah. Actually, the, the spring of 2001. Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, at the time in New York, cigarettes cost, like, six bucks.
2: Yeah. It's so Whereas expensive. now, they're, like,
4: $15, like, they're, like, a full meal, you know what I mean? Right. But, like, um, you know, so... You know, have you seen the movie uh, Almost Famous? No. Google it. You'll you'll get one. You'll get the reference. But I was just a young kid on a tour, and I picked up a gang of bad habits. And it was just like cool, like you know, whatever. And I brought it home, and I smoked for. I think I was a a pack a day smoker for like eight years. Oh no. From like twenty three to like thirty one, and it was just like.
2: I'm so glad you gave it up. No, I did. Like I said,
4: that last pack that I bought, it was just like, I smoked that cigarette and it was just like, I felt like somebody took a warm blanket out of the oven and put it on my chest. And it was just like, okay, I got to stop. Like, this doesn't feel good anymore. But honestly, when I did smoke, to have, to wake up in the morning, get a cup of coffee and have that cigarette felt like heaven. I used to tell people all the time, if it wasn't so bad for you, I'd still be smoking. I loved smoking that much.
2: Mm. I always wonder why people smoke and had coffee at the same time.
4: Because the nicotine and the caffeine are like, oh, Oh, fantastical.
2: Um, what is your ideal situation for a great Father's Day? Um. Mm.
4: We there were a couple of Father's Days where we cooked breakfast and took it into our backyard and in our gazebo and just you know waffles and pancakes and fruit and you know mimosas and yeah. it was just us and it was just me and Michaela and the kids. And that's it. Like, I would get my phone calls throughout the day, you know, Happy Father's Day, text messages, you know, whatever, but it was just us. You know, Michaela likes to go out for brunch now, and I don't really enjoy it as much as she does mm-hmm. because it's like a lot of anxiety. It's like, you know, people are like, holy shit, a black dad? You know, I've. I remember one time on Father's Day, I took my kids to the park before we went out to brunch. Mm-hmm. And this was like, it was leading up to Father's Day, so it really wasn't Father's Day yet. And I remember some some Black woman was just like, oh, it's your weekend, huh?
2: Oh, And I no. was just
4: like, oh. why
2: would you say that?
4: Cause, you know she got baby daddy drama and you know everyone has to make you feel how they feel so like they project their shit onto you Yeah. and it was just like you know whatever and I you know like it's like being the only black person in a white space mm-hmm. is someone being racist to you probably not but when all eyes are on you and you're like, yo, I'm just trying to have a good time here. Like,
3: yeah,
4: it's just like, you know, whatever. So it's like, I only like go out and entertain it because, you know, Michaela wants to feel like she's doing something for me. And, you know, you know, I I roll with it because, you know, it's mother's day and father's day when you're married is a family thing, you know what I'm saying? So it's like, you know what i do for her makes me feel good that i'm doing something for her and then vice versa you know so but a perfect father's day would just be like you know brunch at the house with the kids just chilling in the backyard watching them run around and telling you know uh you know I, I usually make them feel guilty about you know uh, how they did how they did mom for mother's day and how dad's father's day gets the short end of the stick and like I tease them about it incessantly so
2: yeah that's good um my last question for you is if you can give any advice to dads today with all of the experience that you've had over the years what would it be um
4: so are you familiar with the church ccc no christian cultural club i mean christian cultural center here in brooklyn they have a pastor by the name of a.r bernard who's like a famous it's like a mega church in brooklyn
3: mm-hmm. and
4: the pastor is you know he you know he's on the christian leadership council for the white house he's like a big deal he's a big top guy
3: yeah
4: and i sat in on a sermon at his church one day and he said something when I was going through my struggles with my ex-wife he said something in a sermon that I tell younger guys and even first-time dads he said the relationship you have with that child's mother will dictate your relationship with that child whether you're together or not So if you're married or whatever, if it's just it just happened, how you treat the mom and how that relationship is with the mom is going to dictate your relationship. So like your job is being a dad, but then there's an extra job that's like, how is your relationship with the mom? And what are you doing with that relationship to make sure that your relationship with your child goes as smoothly as possible?
2: It's true. It's much better when when you guys are on the same team. Yes, but even in that, right? Like
4: are you arguing all the time? Are you does your child see you saying crazy things to mom? Cuz you know, whether you have a boy or a girl, like that child feels protective over mom. So however you're making mom feel in this marriage, that kid is going to return that energy to you. That's
3: good. good.
4: So like, you know, regardless of the relationship status, if, you know, if your child sees you going about it the right way with mom, regardless of relationship status, that child's going to be like, okay, he's not the problem.
2: Mm. Yeah. That's why I'm always big on, you know, parents not sharing their opinions on another parent in front of that kid. Because yes. yes, Just leave it alone. Whatever that parent is, that child will see. Yeah. Just leave it alone. So, like, you
4: know, Michaela would always get on me about how I would act to my ex because like she would do some crazy stuff and I would always kind of come back to the table and be cordial and try to be like, you know, not every conversation has to be nasty,
3: mm-hmm. right?
4: She like, I don't know why you treat her so good and da da da, And I'd be like, cause that's what makes me better than her. Like I can't sit here and be on this pedestal and then be- return venom every single chance I get because I'm just going to be doing what she's doing
3: yeah. so at
4: the end of the day at least my daughter knows like okay dad is trying to make this work
2: mm-hmm. the that never works it doesn't especially in that
4: and especially as a black man in the state of New York with the family court systems and all of that like you can't win like yeah. you can't win so it's like you know it's funny because like I, you know talking to my friends about marital you know situations or whatever and like what they go through and whatever and like you know me and my boy were talking about it like you know me and have been married seven years now Mm
3: -hmm.
4: and I'm constantly asking myself do you want to be right or do you want to be married hey right cause like Mm
2: mm-hmm
4: you can be right all you want but like what is that gonna get you so like you know it's just like you know one of those things where it's just like you know you gotta like you gotta pick and choose those battles and like you gotta make sure that you know you gotta live to fight another day
2: mm-hmm. and meet in the middle meet in the middle um this is good man you, you gave some insight on some things and I. Uh, I feel like your perspective is very wide range, Um, but in everything, you took it upon yourself to make the change and the result you had in your head the whole time. You gotta
4: like, one thing that I've always tried to do is be self-critical. Yeah. Like, what am I doing here? And it's, it's funny where like, you're the the baby in your family and like, I'm one of the youngest in my family. So you know what it's kind of like to uh, see things going on above you Mm -hmm. and like see both sides, right? Like your siblings and your parents, your parents and your siblings. And like, you know, uh, I don't think people self-critique enough. Right. So like what was good for me at 25 is not good for me at 35. And like, how do you recognize that? And like, what's the growth like? And like, are, what, what's making you grow? Is it an outside force or is it an inside force? And especially with the smoking thing, you don't want the outside force to dictate the change. You want the inside to dictate what happened and move forward, right? So, like, I made the decision to stop smoking. Like, I made a decision to do this. I made a decision to do that. Because it's, like, I'm looking at myself, like, what the hell am I doing? Like, is this healthy? And it's funny because, like, you know, Michaela, she's really good. Um, I've learned to trust, like, her with certain things. Because, like, she would tell me in the past, like, you can do this and I'll support you, Mm -hmm. but this is a really bad idea. And then I would go and do it anyway. And I would see that it was a really bad idea. And she would never be like, I told you so. She would just be like, okay, let's fix it. You know, whatever. But then it'd be like, Okay, how many times does that have to happen before you're like, okay, I need to take her advice. Like, I need to see what she thinks about this. Mm -hmm. Come outside of yourself. And like, you know, like I said, I don't think people are, people kind of get stuck on their, this is how I am and that's it. Mm -hmm. This is my personality, deal with it. And it's like, really dude? Like,
2: Instead of seeing how it could possibly be if you think about it a different way.
4: In a different way. And it's like looking at yourself to say, yo, I fucked that up. Man, You know, so. And that's, you know, it's one thing I try to get my kids to do, right? So like, Michaela always gets at me because I'm a yeller. I'm a yeller with the kids and she hates it. But, you know, my thing is, is like, don't make the same mistakes over and over again. So, like, if I tell you the first time, call me, like, oh, you messed up here. Like, this is what you need to do, right? No and then you do it again. And it's like, hey, all right, we had this conversation. right? Gotta learn from this, right? And then it happens again. And then that's when I'm just like, yeah. <laughs> and then it happens again. It's like, what the fuck
2: are you doing? My, my limit is two. And then after two, it's just like, these are your results. Yeah, exactly. So, you know. But, but I um I just wanna say thank you for just being the resource for so many people and being an example. Be- because for all of your kids you are an example, probably in a different way for different reasons. But I feel like it's going to all hit them at the right time and That's the plan. <laughs> the lane that they, they choose and um that's that's the difference. You know, if if this generation didn't get in the next generation, at least you know that we have the foundation to be the greatness that.
4: Yeah. It's like, I feel like, I feel like my parents got to a certain point, you know, like my dad, like he grew up in Puerto Rico, really poor and had like no education. So like the education part and like certain things that like my mom instilled in us And I feel like when they split, it kind of like, you know, that legacy kind of got stunted. And like, we went from, you know, we were before my mom and my dad divorced, like we were homeowners, middle class, you know, working family, you know, everyone's in school doing well or whatever. But like when they split like the financial and like the uh, economics of it, and the timing of it being the eighties and you know, whatever. And it's just like, you know, I really, we, me and Michaela talk about this all the time, like made a conscious decision to like, try to just like, stop that slide and like take what my parents did and take it to the next level. And like, I feel like I have, and then like trying to set my kids up for them to take that next week aside from us, you know what I'm saying? So, you know, one thing we value, you know, I don't know if you, I know you probably, you know, you see Michaela's page, like she's got her own business. She like works on nine to five. And she mm-hmm. always talks about like, yo, can I do this? And I would tell her like, our kids need to see us chasing things and like yeah. going for it. You know what I mean? Like we just had this conversation because she's kind of like at a crossroads and like, I keep you know I'm telling them like you know we're like in our 40s now so like how many times do you get an opportunity to like go for it and like are you going to get this opportunity again probably not probably not right and like so yeah it's scary to face a little uncertainty right now but like you've got to take this opportunity and go for it and like just do what you can and then the kids will benefit from watching her do that right right you know what I'm saying same way like you know I took from my parents like you know my dad he don't know what the hell I do for a living as long as I'm working you know what I'm saying like my dad be like you employed yeah I cool conversation about work is done you know but I learned from him hard work like he would get up you know he managed supermarkets Mm -hmm. so like my dad was up at every day at 4 30 to be Mm -hmm. at the supermarket by six to open by seven And he did that for 30, 35 years straight. No complaints. He went to work, grinded out, and did his thing. You know, so I hope that, you know, the lessons that I took from him and my mom, and my mom was the education one, like, yo, like, learning never stops. It doesn't matter if you're in school or not. You got to read. You got to be informed. You got to read the newspaper, read all the news, read all the books, and da-da-da. And, like, you know, I just... I remember having that conversation with my daughter, Chloe, when she was, like, nine. Like, you think that the school is going to be going to graduate from school and that's going to be it? Nope. That's not
2: it. Not going to happen. this almost like the beginning of you unlearning the lies and teaching yourself the truth. Yeah. So, you know,
4: hopefully you know, the example sets in, I know a few guys that are younger that'll be like, you know, they appreciate the example, you know, I've got a couple of young boys who are about to have babies and, you know, they know the line is always open and, you know, uh, they can always come over for a drink and, you know, figure it out and have that bonding and that male, like, somebody else telling them, like, yo, you good, bro, like, Mm -hmm. yeah, she's crazy, but what else you gonna do like you know um as long as she's your type of crazy you know what i'm saying but you know it's just again like i see it doesn't happen too often these days and like if there's an opportunity where like i can give someone information or a kind word or some encouragement you know i had a friend that just had a baby and i'm just like Didn't I tell you to take naps before the baby was born? Like, didn't I tell you to enjoy that sleep and sleep till noon and bank those hours? Because how you feeling right now? They're like, bruh, like, (laughs) my eyes are burning right now. I'm like, welcome to being a parent, yo. Yeah. Yeah.
2: But thank you so much for doing this and sharing. Um, I really appreciate it.
4: It's all good. I tell people all the time, you ask, I'll talk. Like, I can talk forever, so.